we know that God must love us because otherwise He would never have sent the Son, Jesus, to die for our sins and raised Him up for our salvation. But because we also know that we're sinners, we can sometimes forget all of that and start to think of God's love for us as more like tolerance toward us. Without ever really articulating it maybe that way, we start forgetting that if it's true that Jesus came for us the first time while we were still His enemies, that there is no possible way that He won't come back for us to take us home to be with Him now that we are His friends, now that we are His beloved, and He has adopted us into God's family. Let me share a Scripture with you that you should remember because it's really good. And it will encourage you here today. Uh, This is Isaiah chapter 49, verses 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb, even if these may forget? I will never forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, men and women, then you are God's beloved. He will not and cannot forget you. Your name is tattooed on His palms and He carries you in His heart. I don't have any ink on my body. Okay, but those of you who have ink know what this is about, right? You can see it and you can remember that time when you got that, right? What was going on? Well, mostly you can remember. Sometimes people get that and they don't remember when. But, <laughs> but, but, but you remember that this happened, right? You remember that this happened and why? And if you have someone's name written on your body, it's because you want to remember them because you love them. Right? Jesus has your name, the Scripture says, written on the palms of His hands. You see, How often do you see the palm of your hand? All the time. Right? Can Jesus forget you? No, He can't forget you. And the reason I want to underline this fact is because whenever we're in pain, Whenever we're facing trials, we tend to forget these things. And, and, and worse, sometimes we start to wonder if God really loves us. Maybe we've believed something false about Him all along. Maybe, maybe he, he doesn't really love me. Maybe He's forgotten about us. But I want us to all get how much God loves us at a gut level. Because if we don't, then we become easy prey for false teachers and false teaching. And as a result, you can start really struggling in your faith. You can be in a situation uh, like the church in Thessalonica when the apostles were writing to them. They knew, on one hand, that Jesus loved them and He gave His life for them and was resurrected for their glorification. But they were facing daily the reality of persecution and rejection and trials for those same beliefs. 
And false teachers had swooped in with them and said, well, you know, it's because the day of the Lord has already come and you missed it. You've been left behind. Jesus forgot about you. Could anything be more discouraging than hearing that the person you had been looking for to come and to rescue you had already showed and you had missed his arrival? And that's what these false teachers were telling the people. And that is at the heart of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Is it possible that you might miss Jesus coming and now be living under God's judgment on sinners? And today, I want to look with you at the answers that God gives to those questions. So, if you're able, uh, flip your Bible over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at four verses today is all. So, if you're able, uh, if you'd stand as I, as I read. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-4. through 4. This is what the Word of God says. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Let's pray. God, our Father, I pray that today as we gather in worship that you would encourage your people with your word and your promise, and your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, uh, so verses 1 and 2 are there to tell us one really important thing, that your present suffering, whatever it is, does not mean that you have been left behind. Um, these verses are meant to be a huge comfort to us. They are meant to encourage us in the middle of these things that look, Jesus is still on His way. He hasn't already come and you haven't been left behind. So, verse 1, we see the apostles telling us about Jesus' return and His purpose. Look closely here at these verses. And this is going to seem a little maybe pedantic or like I'm moving really slow, but it's because I want everyone to see what we're talking about. Uh, who is coming? What does the text say? Our Lord Jesus Christ. The significance of that is this, that we belong to Him. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior and our King. There's a relationship between us and Him. And don't miss that. And don't miss either the fact that it is because He is ours that He is coming to gather us to Him. Focus on each word of that verse. They're all significant. And they're telling us that Jesus' return 
is not just some random event unconnected to anyone or anything. It's that Jesus is our Lord and He is coming back for us so that we will be gathered together. You see that word together in there? Gathered together to Him. What does Paul mean by together? Well, he means that there's no B team in Christianity. Did you know that? It isn't like, you know, the elite, the people who are really great at following Jesus, and then the rest of us, right? It isn't the apostles and, uh, you know, and the, like the famous people, and then you and I, okay? It's, he says he's going to gather us together. So by us, in context, he's talking about Paul and the other apostles and the Thessalonians. That we're all going to be gathered together with Jesus. That means when Jesus returns, He will gather together, not just you and me, but the Thessalonian church and the apostles too, and we all have the same status. We're all equally members of God's family because our relationship with Jesus makes all of us brothers and sisters in that family. And verse 2 is a reminder that since these things are true, you shouldn't believe any teaching that the day of the Lord has already come. And just in case anybody might wonder, Paul gives a categorical denial of every possible source of any such teaching. He says, look, if a spirit appears and tells you that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't believe it. Well, what if, uh, in other words, that if that if a spirit appears and proclaims that to you, that spirit is not from God. There are lots of spirits in the, active in the world, and not all of them are from God. If you hear one that says this, not from the Lord. What if someone claims to have a prophetic word as they speak? In other words. You see that there? A spoken word. In other words, hey, I've got a word from God directly. And he says the Spirit of God that, that the day of the Lord has already come. He says, no, not from God. That guy's a false prophet. Uh, what if someone claims to have a letter, or you dig up in some archaeological site somewhere a letter that claims to be written by the apostles and says, no, the day of the Lord has already come. Look at what the verse says. Don't believe it. It's not true. It's not true. Uh, Paul, Paul says, look, even if it seems to be from me, don't believe it. Because the day of the Lord will not come that way. Don't be alarmed. Don't be shaken in your faith. Paul and the apostles didn't write any such thing. And so these verses are wonderfully comforting to me because they're there to remind us that even if our present circumstances don't line up with me feeling really loved right now, that Jesus loves us. And He is coming back to get us, all of us, every single one of us who believes in Jesus. So how many of us are going to get left behind? Zero of us. Every person who believes in Jesus is going to be gathered together with Him. He's not going to forget anybody. You feel me? It's like, oh gosh, I meant to pick up Pastor Joe. 
I guess I'll have to, I don't know what to do now, right? <laughs> um, that's not going to happen. And your present circumstances are not proof that God doesn't love you or proof that God has abandoned you to experience His wrath. God loves you. And he's coming back for you. Uh, it's, and in fact, it's not proof that you missed it. It's proof that if you're still here, as someone who loves Jesus, it's proof Jesus hasn't come back yet. Not proof that you missed it. Proof Jesus hasn't arrived yet. Because otherwise you wouldn't be here. You feel me? Now, uh, secondly, the other big truth here in these verses is this, that Jesus is coming after, after a couple of signs are fulfilled. And there are two of them here in this chapter. Um, Moving on, looking at verses 3 and 4. Prior to Jesus' return, there will be two obvious signs that precede His arrival. And these signs are given so that no one will deceive you about Jesus' coming. Meaning that you've not already missed it. You won't miss it when He comes. And it also means that these are things that we can look for that we know have to happen in order for Jesus to come. There are lots of signs in the old, in the uh, both Old and New Testament about Jesus coming, but these are just two that are identified here, and both of them have to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back. The first sign is in the first part of verse three. It's what the Bible refers to here as my Bible translates it as the rebellion. Okay. The Greek word that's translated rebellion there is actually the, the, um, the, the it's translated in English as rebellion, but in Greek it's apostasy. The apostasy comes first. In other words, it's not, it's not sort of generalized rebellion against God. It's always a feature of sinners and being in a sinful world. It's a specific kind of rebellion. It's People who once claimed to be followers of Jesus, who once claimed to be Christians, who once called Jesus Lord and turn away and rebel against Him. Now let me clarify a little more here because throughout church history there have always been people who once upon a time claimed to be Christians but who later turned away from following Jesus. But in other words, there, there have always been, and there presumably until Jesus comes will always be, people like Judas Iscariot who followed Jesus for a while, but when push came to shove, made their loyalties known and they weren't to Jesus. And more than that, it's, simp it's not simply that there are people here who are turning away from the faith in Jesus that they formerly embraced. It's large enough scale that it is called the apostasy. So when you see that, it's your clue to start looking for Jesus to arise. Now scholars vary on their opinion as to whether this has been fulfilled. Uh, on the one hand, there, there are every day, I don't know if you know this, but this ought to encourage you. Every day around the world, about 25,000 people come to faith in Jesus. Every single day. Every year, about 26,000 new churches get planted around the world. It's astonishing. Okay? 
Now, we don't see all of that here in the U.S., but still there are hundreds of new churches planted here every year. And every year there are hundreds of people, thousands of people, who come to faith even in the U.S. We just don't see them all. Because they're not all around us. But every, every day that happens. Uh, on the other hand, there are also in the world today millions of people who call themselves Christians. People who make up large segments of the quote Christian church who do not actually believe the biblical gospel. But have turned away to follow myths and tales and human authorities and to bow down in front of idols. So, is that the apostasy? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's going to be wide enough scale that those of us who are alive when it happens will know for sure that it is occurring. Um, also, I'm not the one who decides. God is. Um, but, but I think the point here is that this is going to be obvious so that you don't miss it if you're a believer alive when the end comes. The second sign is given in the second part of verse 3, and it's the unveiling of the man that is called here the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction. If you have an, a, an older version of the Bible, your, your Bible may read the son of perdition, uh, the son of hell, the son of damnation, something, something like that, right? It can be translated a variety of different ways. But the idea is, is that this is a person who is destined for hell because of the role that he plays in human history. That he, he is the Antichrist, is what John calls him in the book of Revelation. Um, in, in 1 John, John the Apostle says that many Antichrists, plural, have gone out into the world. And how do we recognize them? Well, they deny that Jesus is Lord. And they set themselves up as kind of a substitute deity. And so you can look at, you can look throughout human history, there are lots of examples. You can look at Genghis Khan, or you can look at Pol Pot, or Adolf Hitler, or Joseph Stalin, or Chairman Mao, or Xi Jinping in the modern world, or Vladimir Putin, or whoever. Okay? There have been lots of guys that exhibit the spirit of Antichrist, that they set themselves up as supreme authority over, over an area or over a people. Um, you can look at the Iranian mullahs. You can look at Nikita Khrushchev. You can look at a whole assortment of people. John says those kinds of people will be around. But how do we know when the man of lawlessness has arrived and we should start looking for Jesus' return? Verse 4 clarifies for us. Whenever you see a man who opposes every other form of worship and exalts himself over them such that he takes his seat and the temple of God, and proclaims himself to be God, then this sign is fulfilled and you need to start looking for Jesus to return. Now, I'm going to get deep in the weeds here in just a second, for just a second. Okay. Has this sign been fulfilled? I don't think so. Okay. But there are people who argue that it has been. Okay. 
because in 70 AD, which is about two decades after this letter was written, there was a guy named Titus, who was a Roman general, who came into the temple of God right before he sacked it, proclaimed himself to be God, and destroyed the temple. Okay? Was he the man of lawlessness that Paul was talking about? Maybe. There are people who defend that idea. Okay? And so all we're looking for, we're one, we've got one sign down, we're looking for the other one to be fulfilled, and then Jesus will come. Okay? Um, other people say, no, no, it's a, talking about a future time in which, the, uh, in which the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. There's no temple there now. It's just the, the foundation stones, and it's occupied currently by a mosque in the Dome of the Rock. Um, that will somehow have to be destroyed and then a new temple constructed and then the man of lawlessness will come and proclaim himself God in the temple that's rebuilt in Jerusalem and that will be the fulfillment of that. There will be there are others who say, no, 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 the temple of God uh, that was an earthly structure um, was only representative of God's presence among His people. The real temple is not a structure and a physical building. It is the church and its people. Paul refers to us in Ephesians chapter 4 as the inner sanctuary of God's presence, the people in, among whom God dwells. So maybe what he's talking about is somebody in a position of ecclesial authority who proclaims himself to be God. Someone who comes into the church, into the assembly of believers, and it's not doesn't have anything to do with Jerusalem at all. But it has to do with an apostasy, a turning away from the real God and the real Messiah and the exaltation of a man as if he were the Messiah that has replaced him. So, how does this sign get fulfilled? I'm not entirely certain. But here's what I do know for sure. When it's fulfilled, it'll be obvious. It'll be obvious. It'll be obvious. And the reason I know it will be obvious is because Paul is trying to encourage these people that look, these signs haven't happened yet. Therefore, you can know that Jesus hadn't come back yet. Right? So as he's writing this, he's trying to encourage them. Look, these things are yet to come. And you will, when you see them, you'll know them. You'll recognize them as being what they are. as the signs of Jesus' return. So, um, I hope I haven't confused everybody. Um, being honest, I'm not entirely certain how to understand every bit of this. Okay, I think we ought to approach our eschatology, in other words, our beliefs about future events with a degree of humility and not assume that we know everything there is to know because obviously things that haven't happened yet, we don't know everything there is to know. Right? But these things are given for our encouragement. Uh, I tend to think the, apost the apostasy is probably future. Um, what I know for sure is that both of these signs will be fulfilled, will be fulfilled before Jesus' return, and believers will not miss Jesus' coming. Believers will not miss Jesus' coming. When I was a kid, you know, um, one of the things that people said was, you know, you hope... I hope that when Jesus comes and raptures us, 
that, uh, that you don't miss it, right? In fact, I had a buddy who, who thought it would be funny uh, with his sister. He, he had a set of clothes that he like laid out on the stairs in their house. Okay, like he put his, put his socks inside his shoes and like he was going up the stairs running and then had a pair of underwear inside his pants on another step, you know, kind of spread out and then a shirt. Like it was, you know, like he had just disappeared out of it, right? And then he went to the top of the stairs and blew a trumpet. <laughs> and then like disappeared down the hallway, right? And so so my mother asked his sister, she's like, Stacy, what do you think? Did you think you would have been left behind? She goes, No, I knew I was going to going to glory. I didn't know about Mark though. <laughs> okay. My brother, who was evil, and tried to convince me that I've been left, right? <laughs> but, uh, but the reality is we will not miss it. Not one single one of us who believe in Jesus will miss it. Okay? Whenever these signs are fulfilled, we will see them fulfilled, and we will go shortly thereafter to see Jesus. Okay, now, uh, some, some points of application here for our own hearts and our own churches. Um, number one, you know, one of the things that we're told to look out for is apostasy and lawlessness, right? I'm not greatly concerned about trying to identify when the apostasy has taken place out there or when the man of lawlessness is revealed out there, but I am greatly concerned about apostasy and lawlessness in my own heart and in our own church. I don't know for certain whether these signs will be fulfilled in my lifetime or not. But here's what I do know for sure. Is that apostasy and lawlessness are dangers in every day until Jesus comes. Judas probably thought he had genuine faith in Jesus right up to the point that he decided to betray Him for 30 pieces of silver. In the same way, I've known people who I thought were believers who walked away for much less than 30 pieces of silver. In some cases, it was because they got a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend. And that became so much more important. In the same way, the man of lawlessness proclaims himself to be God in place of the real God, in the place where only the true God should rule. But within us all, there is a tendency to do that very thing in our own hearts and with our own lives. Amen? we all tend to want to crown ourselves king and God of our own life. And that spirit should be utterly rejected. The same submission to the Lordship of Jesus and the same filling of the Spirit we receive at our salvation should be daily embraced. That we not yield to the spirit of lawlessness that lurks within us. Right? Same goes for our churches. Let's not allow our church to turn away from truth or to elevate men to the place where only God deserves.
not celebrate men. Let's celebrate Jesus. Let's not turn away from Him. Secondly, God's Word is going to be fulfilled. It is going to be fulfilled. God keeps every single explicit promise that He makes. And so having given us signs to look for, we can be sure these signs will be fulfilled. And that really ought to give us confidence in other areas of life too. Because nothing that God has promised you in His Word will fail to be fulfilled. Not one single thing. Every single promise that God makes in here will be kept. Every single one. Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will not miss Jesus' return. You are on His mind. Jesus is coming for you. He's coming for you. One of my favorite scenes in all of film is um, there's a scene in The Last of the Mohicans. Have you seen this movie? Okay, they're standing under a waterfall and Daniel Day-Lewis is um, uh, leather stocking right in there and he's got this woman and the Indians are coming. right? And he says to her, no matter what happens, you stay alive. I will find you. I'm coming. Right? And I love that scene. It's a great scene. Um, you need to see this movie if you've not seen it. It's great. Okay. He's, and and they, the Indians come and they do capture her. And then he comes. And his vengeance is swift and his justice rides behind him. Right? It is something to behold when this guy rides into town. Um, it is much like that. Jesus has you on His mind and He is coming for you. You will not miss Him because you are the person He's coming to get. You feel me? That's important for you to remember that He is going to gather you and every other believer in Jesus Christ because He loves every single one of us. He's coming for you. And you will be with Him forever. And lastly, that since Jesus loves you like that, you should be comforted in whatever afflictions you face. Because they're not proof that Jesus loves you. They're just the reality of refinement until He comes to get you. He's coming. And He's coming for you. Amen? He is, you are engraved on the palms of His hands. And He is coming to bring an end to your suffering for all time and take you to be with Him. So let's pray. And then we've got a few announcements um, here before we go. So, God our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are indeed a God who keeps His Word. A God who proclaims uh, our salvation to us and who reminds us of your great love for us, who, uh, who rejoices in us and over us, who's, who has carved our names into His palms, and who has us in mind in saving us.
Father, we ask your blessing on each one. Help us to be encouraged and to celebrate with great joy what you have done for us in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.